above all names. We worship you, Jesus. We thank you. Thank you for your blood. We thank you for your grace. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Hope you guys are doing great. Hope uh, you're hanging in there, fighting the good fight of faith when the going gets tough. And in a lot of ways on our planet, the going has gotten a little tough. And I hope uh, when the going gets tough, one, not only do the tough get going and we will, we will face things head on and fight for our faith and fight for what is true and right and, and good, but also we will realize that when the going gets tough, God is up to something big. When the going gets tough, the Lord is doing something. Which is why um, we're tackling this subject right now. and We're looking at different Bible characters who face different trials in their life and, and how they responded to them. Some soared, some flopped. But uh, we're in the mix, you know, we're in the mix and uh, we have the potential to do great things when the going gets tough. And we also know that we have the potential to uh, begin to look inward or like Peter did when he was walking on the water to look at the waves and the storm and take our eyes off of God and begin to sink. We know the feeling of sinking. I know the feeling of sinking. I also know the feeling of soaring when things get tough. So our goal is to soar more sink less. Okay, that's the goal for all of us. Uh, James chapter 1 is our springboard. James says, remember, it's about joy. Consider it joy when you face these trials. They are going to come. Face them head on. They're coming your way. They're taking you somewhere. They're going to produce maturity, completion, not lacking anything. They are the bus ride to maturity, okay? Trials and tribulations and testings and life. When the going gets tough, God is taking you somewhere. Keep your eyes on the road. Keep your eyes on the Lord and look for what God is up to, okay? Awesome, awesome, awesome. So today we're talking about when the going gets tough, uh, he lost his head over it, okay? When the going gets tough for this next character of ours, he lost his head over it. We're going to take a snapshot sermon look at John the Baptist, okay? John the Baptizer. His last name is not Baptist. Like, Jesus' last name is not Christ. He's Jesus the Christ. He's John the Baptist or the Baptizer. People in the Bible didn't have last names. Isn't that interesting? Moses and Abraham. We just know them by their first name. Joseph and Mary and Jesus, Paul and Luke, and, you know, all the guys, all the people in the Bible, Lydia, women too, Ruth, they didn't have a last name. You know why that is? Because we all have come from one race. We've all come from one family. We've all come from descendants of Adam and Eve. They are our parents. We are all really one family. That's a little bit mind-blowing, isn't it? Well, today we're going to look at John the Baptist, and we first learn about John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1 when Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, who are upright in the sight of God kind of people, these are Jewish people that love God and are honoring God and are living for God, but they didn't have any children, and Elizabeth, the scripture says, was barren. She could not have kids. The scripture also tells us in Luke 1 
that they were well along in years, older people, probably past the point of having children. Well, Zechariah was on duty one day in the temple, and his job in the temple was to burn the incense, to uh, keep the incense burning in the temple to the Lord, this fragrant offering to God, constantly going up to the Lord. And so he goes into the temple to make sure the incense is burning, and an angel of the Lord appears to him. It just says, an angel of the Lord, and he is kind of frightened. And the angel says to him, don't be afraid. Your prayers have been heard by God. Elizabeth, your wife, is going to have a son, and you are to give him the name John. This is going to be John the baptizer later on in life. Give him the name John, for he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice at his birth. And so the angel tells uh, Zechariah that they're going to have a son, and they're to give him the name John. Well, not long after uh, the angel appears to uh, Zechariah about John, the, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, Mary, Jesus's mother, and uh, she gets a visit from the angel Gabriel, and she is told that she is going to have a son. These are all right next to each other, John and Jesus. And he will be called, the scripture says, the Son of God. And in chapter 1, verse 36, the, the angel also tells Mary that her relative, her relative Elizabeth, is also going to have a son. And so the angel informs Mary, Gabriel informs Mary, that your relative, your cousin Elizabeth, is going to have a son as well. Isn't that cool? So you got Mary, you got Elizabeth. Elizabeth is going to be the mom of John the Baptist. Mary is going to be the mom of, of uh, Jesus. And they're about six months apart. So Mary hurries off. When she gets this news, she hurries off to the town in the countryside of Judah to Elizabeth and Zechariah's home. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting when she came into the house, the scripture says that the baby leaped in her womb. John the Baptist, in her womb, in Elizabeth's womb, leaped for joy six months along at, at the, the, the Mary's greeting in the home because, because she knew that Mary was going to have a child as well. And Elizabeth, Elizabeth, the scripture says, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so John is born first, Luke chapter 1, verse 57. And a short time after that, about six months later, they're about six months apart, uh, Jesus is born. And the two boys are, are cousins, distant cousins, probably second or third cousins. But they are cousins. Isn't that cool? You have cousins. I've got cousins. Lots of them. It's cool to think that John the Baptist and Jesus are cousins. They're relatives. They're related to each other. How cool is that, even though we're all related to each other? But this is even closer, cousins like that. Well, in Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 3, John's ministry is launched. John is older now, and he's going to, uh, God calls him now to begin his ministry. And in Mark chapter 1, 
verses 1 to 8. Here's what it says. We're going to look at a bunch of scripture leading uh, just a, a quick, really snapshot of the life of John the Baptist, and we can pull some things out of, out of his life, okay? So in the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, God said through Isaiah, I will send, I will send my messenger ahead of you, ahead of the Messiah, ahead of Jesus, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. That's John's ministry. That's John's mission. This is John's purpose. And this is what John is doing. Verse 4, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So we have John beginning his ministry to prepare the way for Jesus, and he is baptizing people in the Jordan River for uh, repentance, for the forgiveness of sin. John is a preparatory baptism. There's a difference between the baptism we are baptized in into Christ and the baptism of John for the repentance of sin. Okay, that, that we are, he was preparing the way. It's a baptism of repentance, right? Not a baptism into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because that hasn't even happened yet. Not a baptism to receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has not yet been poured out on the earth. Remember, Jesus said when he left that he would send the Comforter, he would send the Spirit. And then in Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. And so that's a baptism to receive the Holy Spirit in your life and the baptism of forgiveness of sins that only Jesus can do. John's baptism is to prepare the way for the Lord. It's a come out, confess your sins, and be ready because the Messiah is close. The Messiah is on the earth. The Messiah will soon begin his ministry shortly after John began his. And how cool is that? The baptism into Jesus is for the forgiveness of sins. The baptism into Jesus Christ is for a new birth. It's for, it's a spiritual birth. So John's baptism is this preparatory baptism to prepare the way for Jesus. Baptism into Christ is for the forgiveness of sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You must be born again. You must be baptized into Christ, immersed into Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. I hope you've done that. If you have never done that, talk to somebody about that. Talk to me. I will come to wherever you are and help you do that. Baptism into Christ. Give your life to Christ. Surrender to Jesus and let Jesus be Lord of your life. Don't put that off because in our world, not only is the going getting tough, but it's going to get tougher. It's going to get tougher. The day of salvation is now. It's today. Don't put it off. In Mark chapter 1, then, what we see here later on in verse 4, 5, here as we continue the story, the whole Judean countryside, John is baptizing in the Jordan, remember, for the, for the uh, repentance of sin, to uh, prepare the way for the Lord. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to John, went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore, a little bit of John, he wore uh, his lifestyle. He wore clothing made out of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist 
and he ate locust and wild honey. John is one rough dude living out in the hill country, baptizing people. He is, he is on point. He is on mission. He is focused. And he has one purpose, and that is to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? That's what John came to do. Baptize with water, knowing that one day there'd be another baptism where the Holy Spirit would be given through Jesus Christ. So, Cousin John is sent by God to set the stage for the Messiah. He has one purpose, and that is to set the stage. And then Jesus comes, and while John, well, John is, and I'm pretty sure they got the name there, well, John is dunking people in the Jordan River for this um, preparing the way for the Lord. Jesus comes. He comes. Matthew 3, Mark 1, Luke 3. And John's Gospel all talk a little bit about John the Baptist and Jesus' ministry as they overlap. And that's what's happening. John begins, and then Jesus is going to overlap with John, and Jesus is going to take it from there, and John is going to go away. So in Mark, the scripture says this, Mark chapter 1, verse 9, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. So John is going to baptize Jesus. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven that said, You are my Son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. So this is kind of a picture of what's going on on the earth. As John begins his ministry and as Jesus comes onto the scene, Matthew says that at this instance, John tries to deter Jesus. To, uh, and he says, I need, John says, I need to be baptized by you. And yet you come to me and Jesus says, this is a good thing. This is to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, this is the way it's been written. This is the way it needs to play out. John, just do what God has called you to do. And Jesus then goes down and is baptized by John. In John's gospel, the scripture says the next day Jesus came. So when Jesus began to approach John while he's baptizing in the Jordan River, people all around, when John saw him, cousin Jesus, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, and that's the big difference between John and Jesus and their baptism. Only Jesus can take away the sins of the world. John cannot do that. John can only prepare us. He can only prepare the world for what God is about to do in his son. So, John is a very firm kind of guy. He is uh, a living out in the wilderness, rugged dude. Like you watch some of the shows that are on TV now that are about like people being all alone on this like 
Alaskan island and they have to survive as long as they can. That That's John. He's a survivor living out in the wilderness. He's rough and he's also confrontational. I want to touch on this in a minute. John is not afraid to say it like it is, and I respect that so much about John the baptizer, is that he is not afraid to say, look, this is the way of the Lord. This is what God says. And if you don't like it, that's kind of too bad for you. But John isn't afraid to confront the sins of the world. So in Luke chapter 3, verse 7, look what it says. John said to the crowds, or he answered the crowds, um, coming to him to be baptized. Look what he says. Wait, let me back up. John said to the coming crowds, out to be baptized by him, you broad of vipers. So he's pointing out the people, the religious leaders probably, that are now coming to see what John is up to. He says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, a changed life, a changed heart. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. Therefore, you know, we're cool because Abraham is our father. We're Jews. Uh, for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. In other words, you're, 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 you're nothing. Okay, don't, you can't lean on Abraham. You've got to stand on your own two feet and you've got to be accountable and answer for your own, answer for your own actions. Verse 9, the axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down, cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. Look what John says. John answered, anyone who has two shirts. So, so get this, the crowd has there. John is baptizing. Religious leaders have come. And now John is going to call out some of the religious leaders because of their hypocrisy and because they claim to be children of God, but they aren't acting like it. They're not treating people right. John says, anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none. That's a good, that's a good truth, right? Anyone who's got two shirts, you got two shirts? I've got more than two shirts. We should share with those who have none. That's what John says. That's what you should do. Show some love. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Tax collectors despised by the whole culture because they would rip people off. Look what John says. They say, teacher, they ask, what should we do? Tax collectors. John says, don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? Isn't that crazy? Like John is out there baptizing and different peoples are like saying, what does God want us to do? What does the Lord want us to do? How should we live? How should we treat people? What, what do we need to do to change, to be better? Isn't that a great question? Maybe we should all on the planet just take some time and say, what do I need to do to change? No matter what you are or who you are or where you live. Maybe, we, maybe it would be a good thing for all of us to look to God and say, God, what do I need to do to change? And whatever God tells us to do through his word, we should do. But when John rebuked Herod, in verse 19 later on, in this confrontational stage of John, John rebukes Herod, King Herod, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias. So Herodias is his brother's wife. He's got a brother. Herod's got a brother named Philip. Philip has a wife named Herodias. Well, Herod took 
Philip's wife, Herodias, to be his. Okay? And, and, and John the Baptist is now calling him out. He's like, Herod must have come down and he's pointing out Herod and saying, Hey, you, Herod, big king dude, what you're doing is wrong. It's sinful and shameful. And all the other things that he had done, John is calling him out on the carpet. These are, this is the leader of the country. And Herod added to this to them all. And he locked John up in prison. Now, isn't that crazy? So Herod, Herod doesn't like, he doesn't like what he's hearing from John. And so he locks John up. But John has some mixed emotions. And, and, and uh, or Herod has some mixed emotions about John. And John is not afraid to confront the society. Uh, Mark 6, verse 18, For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias, the wife, she nursed a grudge against John, and she wanted him dead. But she was not able to do so because Herod, look at this, he feared John and he protected John knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to John. Herod's got confusion going on in his head, right? He is a double-minded man. He, he, he doesn't like what he's hearing from John because John's pointing out sin, but he knows it's right and he knows it's true and he knows he's guilty. And so he still wants to hear more of John because John is saying things from God and Herod knows that John is a godly man. He's a holy man. His wife Herodias, who is Philip's wife, now Herod's wife, she wants John dead because he's pointing out their sin. How cool is that, right? John is, is, is like not afraid to confront the sins of society. We, we need to be a little bit like John. We probably need to be less silent and a little more vocal for the truth. Here's why. One day Jesus is going to come back and it's all going to be over. And people are either going to go to heaven or they're going to go to hell. And we have a job, we have an obligation to help people understand that the sins of the world are going to separate them from God forever if they don't repent and come to know Jesus. They're going to die in their sins. And our job is to warn them. Our job is to point out the, the work of evil and Satan in the world and the way that people have been caught up in it and to help point people to the Christ, the only one who can save their soul. So in John's gospel, as we read about John the Baptist, John the gospel writer John, different John, in his gospel, there's confusion about who John is. Some people think John is the Christ. They think, are you the Christ? No, he's not the Christ. Some say he's Elijah. Others say he's one of the prophets that has come back from the dead. John the Baptist said this about who he is. He said, I am a voice of one calling in the desert, make straight paths for the Lord. Herod didn't like the fact that John spoke against his adultery. Herodias, the woman, held the grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But Herod liked to listen to John preach. And he protected John. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like a bad soap opera is what this sounds like. We got a lot of people that are really mixed up doing all kinds of wacky things, okay? 
But in the middle of it all, we have one guy who's a holy man, who's standing up for truth, who's calling it like it is, and he's helping to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus. And then it happened. Then it happened. The going gets really tough, gets really tough for John. Okay? It was bad at the end now because at the beginning, John's baptizing people and everything's good. But then things start to turn bad as Herod and uh, as uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees start finding out what John's doing and he begins to call out their sin and the sins of the world. And now things turn on John when he does it. So note that. Okay, when you start to speak against the lies of the world, the cover-ups of mankind and the enemy, you start to speak against the things of this world that are corrupt and wrong, the murder of innocent babies. When you start to point out the things that we as people do that offend God, you are going to get called out. You're going to get called out. You're going to be persecuted. And that's what happens to John. And the persecution turns up. There it goes. Here's what happens. Verse 21, chapter 6 of Mark. Mark's got the longest sections about John, so you can read that. But all the Gospels talk about John to some degree. So great study on John. It's not a lot because he doesn't last long. Here it goes. Finally, the opportune time came. It was uh, on the birthday of Herod. Herod's birthday, he's got this big banquet. All his officials and his military commanders and his leading men of Galilee are all together. They're having a big celebration. They're all getting drunk. And when the daughter of Herodias came in, Herodias' daughter, this is probably not Herod's daughter. This is the daughter from his brother Philip. Herodias' daughter, now living with Herod. The daughter must have been beautiful. She came in and she danced. And she pleased Herod. And all the guests. And the king said to her, Ask me for anything you want, and I will give it to you. That's a loaded question. That's a loaded promise, right? That's like rubbing a lamp and getting a genie says, Whatever you want, I will give you. That's what Herod says and does. And he promised her with an oath. In other words, he cannot take back whatever it is she asks for. Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. She could have asked for half of the kingdom. Isn't that crazy? She could have asked for a lot of things. So she went out and she said to her mother, what shall I ask for? This is, remember, Herodian or Herodias. This is the woman that does not like John the Baptist. And she says, ask him for the head of John the Baptist. At once the girl hurried into the king with a request as she danced her way and pranced her way back into there. And I want you to give me right now, not tomorrow, right now, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Right now. Spoiled little girl. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oath and all of his dinner guests, now he's fearing everybody, you know. This king is fearing John. This king is fearing God. This king is fearing all the people. He's fearing uh, what it's going to look like for him if he doesn't keep his word. And so because he feared all uh, of this, he did not want to refuse her, so he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went out, beheaded John in the prison, and he brought back his head on a platter, and he presented John's head on a platter to the girl, and she took it, 
and she went and gave it to her mother. Isn't that despicable? Isn't that disgusting? Like what in the, talk about barbaric people. This is barbarian. There's John's head, this rough, rugged, probably long hair, beard, grubby head on a platter with the blood and the guts hanging out of it. And she carries this, this girl carries it to her mother. Verse 29, on hearing this, on hearing this, John's disciples came and they took his body and they laid it in a tomb. And, and just like that, John's life, like a candle in the wind, is snuffed out. Gone. Gone. And that, that is the story of John the Baptist. That is the life of John the Baptist. From, from that baby leaping in the womb and the angel telling Elizabeth that she's going to have a child and they're to name him John, to this moment where his head is now on a platter isn't a long period of time. Months, maybe. Well, there's years. There's years. Because he, he grows up before he starts his ministry. But, but once John starts to prepare the way for Jesus, it does not last very long. So let me share with you some takeaways, and we're done. Here we go. Takeaway number one is the, the brevity of life. The brevity of life. John the Baptist comes onto the scene... And he is gone in a, like a mist. Gone. Here today, he's gone tomorrow. He does not last long. His life starts so miraculous, right? So miraculous and good. He, he grows up as a child, that he has a normal childhood probably. But once God calls him to begin to speak the message of Jesus, his, end, his life comes to a brutal end. Talk about when the going gets tough. The volume got cranked on tough on John, and his life was snuffed out, which is a reminder to all of us how quickly life goes by. Every time you have a birthday, every time you have a birthday, a whole other year has gone. You are further away from birth, and you are closer to death. I know that's sad, right? That's sad. I know this because I have a birthday this weekend. So I get that, you know? I get that. Closer closer to death. I'm closer to death than I am to the beginning. Closer to the end. And that's totally cool and totally fine. I that's doesn't bother me one bit. Doesn't bother me. But for John, his life, his ministry began and it was out before he even really got going very far. But the cool thing is he served the Lord with every ounce of life in him. When you read about John, even though his life was short and brief, he was fully committed to God, and, and he gave all that he had to the Lord. But, but when we read the story of John the Baptist, we think about when the going gets tough, we realize that life is short. Make the most of it for God. Don't get everything you can out of it for you because none of that is going to last. None of that is going to go with you when you leave this earth. What matters most when you die is what you have 
the investment that you've made in the kingdom of God, your life sold out for Jesus, how you have impacted people and pointed them to Jesus, those are the investments that matter. Your money, your homes, your stuff, your toys, your sports, all that stuff doesn't matter one bit. All that's going to matter is what you connected to God. First yourself, then your family, your kids, your family and friends, people around you, your workmates. You help everyone come to know God. That's the greatest investment you could do. That's the greatest way to spend your life because your life is short. Number two is this. John the Baptist had a brave heart. He had the biggest heart, and it was fearless. It was fearless. You know what? You know, you know we, we, we fear a lot of things in this, in this world, but he saw the evil of the day, and he called it out, and he wasn't afraid. He was not afraid to say, this is right, this is wrong. This is truth, this is a lie. You are living a sinful life. He was not afraid to do that. Now, we do that with love. We, we got to do that with love in our heart and love for people, not to point out their sin and to guilt them, but we do that so that people will realize how much they need the Lord in their life. You know, that's what we do. That's why we should do it. And that's why we should have a brave heart as well. It's that we're not afraid what people might do to us. Who cares? You get thrown in jail, whatever. You get flogged or beaten or nailed to a cross. So what? So what? We will not fear people. We will not fear what anyone can do to us. We will fear the Lord. And we will honor and serve the Lord. And we will speak up for God until our last breath. That's what John did. That's what John did. Right? That's what he did. He had a brave heart. And number three, the last thing is this. John was fully, fully, his life was fully devoted to the Lord. From the beginning, from the first leap in the womb of joy at the Messiah, right, Mary, to the ministry of preparing the way, to going out with this bang. He's in jail. The next thing he knows, there's the jail door opens. They drag him out of the jail, and there's an executioner there, and, and maybe they explain to him, the daughter of Herodias wants your head on a platter, and the king Herod said to do it. And the next thing you know, John's gone. His head is on a platter. See, the thing is this. John the baptizer, what, what he teaches us most for every believer for every one of us that claim to follow Christ, what John teaches us is this, when the going gets tough, when the going gets tough in your life, when things don't go the way you want them to go, or the world comes up against you, or the world is going 100 miles an hour the opposite direction of God, when the going gets tough, true followers are willing to risk their neck for the glory of God. That's what John, John's life teaches us. John the Baptist. What an awesome, powerful, very short, but very powerful and impactful life. When the going gets tough, when the going gets tough, are you prepared for those tough times? I think they're going to get worse. We might experience times of peace and moments that it gets better, but I think it's going to get tougher 
For anyone who claims to be a follower of Christ, anyone who claims that, that there's a standard of truth that we should live up to, because the world is already trying to destroy any standard. The world wants to believe that anything goes, whatever you think you are, you are, whatever I think I am, I am, and you don't have a right to tell me I'm not. And so speaking up for the truth of what God says is, is getting less and less popular, which means the going is going to get tougher and tougher for anybody, for anybody who decides that they are going to walk with the Lord and they're going to stand up for the truth and the standards and the morality of God. It's going to get tougher. Are you prepared for that? If you are not, it's time to begin to prepare for those days. They are right out in front of us. They're coming quickly. Grow up in your faith. Stay close to God. Dig into his word. Read it. Study it. And, and let it fill your heart and your mind so that when those tough times come, you're ready to respond. And the last thing is this. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Have you surrendered yourself to him? And I want to encourage you today. Surrender to Jesus. Just surrender to him. Be like John the Baptist. Maybe not his purpose and his mission. You, that was his. It's not mine. It's not yours. But God has a purpose for your life just like he did for John's. And just like he did for Paul's and for Moses and Abraham. Just like everyone else. Anyone who chooses to follow God, God has a purpose for your life. Find the purpose and, and let that passion of what God has called you to guide every step you take. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'll move in our hearts. Thank you for John the Baptist. Thank you for his life. Thank you for the way that he, he just was so bold and so full of courage and fearless, God, for you. Help us to be a little bit more like him in this world. Father, help us to realize that when we stand up for what's right and true, there's going to be people who don't like that, for sure. There's going to be people who are going to attack us and come against us because they love the devil. They love evil. They love doing selfish things. But there's going to be an element of people who are going to not just respect us for standing tall in the midst of storms, but they're going to want what we've got. They're going to want that strength in them as well. God, help us to, to do it for your glory, and do it that others might come to know you, God. We love you so much, and we give you thanks, Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.